So in our last episode, we talked about uh, redoing ballot measure 110, which legalizes drugs basically in Oregon. And there's an initiative process that, that may be started if the legislature doesn't do anything. So Betsy, tell me from, from your experience, how does Oregon's initiative process work? It's supposed to be the people get enough signatures on whatever it is they want to bring to the voters and they they do so. And if they get enough signatures, then it goes on the ballot and people get to vote on it. Um, I don't know if it's the same in every state. I kind of think that it's not. Um, but what can you tell me about Oregon's initiative process and how well you think it works? Well, there are a variety of things. If I'm going to drop back in history, and I'm doing this at about 100,000 feet, I'm not an expert on the initiative system, but I do know quite a bit about it. It used to be that when people wanted to get something on the ballot or redress something that the legislature had done, it was motivated citizens that would stand out in front of Safeway and gather signatures or go to public places and gather signatures. It has become a very lucrative cottage industry at this point with people doing this professionally and it's basically bounty hunters for signatures. It gets to be very, very expensive. And particularly during COVID uh, and um, in the most recent sort of spate of initiative gathering, it was hard to find workers. Uh, it was hard to manage those workers. And is, to my way of thinking, a, 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 a process with less integrity than people just standing out in front of Safeway trying to gather signatures to call something to the legislature or the public's um, attention. Now, I can almost hear people reacting to this because I got onto the ballot in my gubernatorial race by virtue of gathering signatures. And in that instance, the threshold was a very low threshold of signatures. And yes, we did use paid signature gatherers. And um, one had to because the time to gather the signatures is very short. There has been some legislative manipulation in how signatures are gathered, how you print off the petitions, who has to witness the petitions being signed. And so I was involved in a very expensive signature gathering exercise to get the requisite number of signatures to, to get my name as a non-affiliated candidate onto the ballot. The Republicans, of course, have a primary that's a closed primary. That means only Republicans can vote in their primary to um, pick their, their standard bearers for elective office. Same with the Democrats. There's been a lot of focus on changing that process right now because functionally the taxpayers pay for the Democrat and the Republican primaries. And there has been a lot of enthusiasm for different kinds of, of balloting so that you could have ranked choice balloting. And I certainly don't hold myself out to be an expert on all of the different methodologies, but the fundamental notion is instead of the R's all getting together and picking their person and in a closed primary and the D's getting together and picking theirs, uh, which functionally disenfranchises all of the independents because if one is registered as an independent, as I am now, you're not allowed to vote in the primaries of the two uh, big partisan political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats. So as an independent, I can't vote. Uh, and um, many people are seeing the inequity of that, particularly as 
the percentage of registered Republicans in the state of Oregon, and again, I'm rounding these numbers, is about 25%. The registered Democrats, about 35%. And the independents, meaning they're not a Republican or a Democrat, but they're lumped into that big um, group of independents, uh, is over 40. And those independents are are people that have either gone in and said, uh, the hell with both the Republicans and the Democrats, I don't wanna be associated with either one of them. And so I'm gonna be uh, non-affiliated. Or some people go in and they say, the hell with the Republicans and the Democrats, I'm gonna be an independent. They think that they're saying they wanna register non-affiliated, but they're actually in Oregon is a capital I independent party. So some people who thought they were registering non-affiliated are actually registered in a political party that at one time, by virtue of the number of registered voters they had, was considered a major party. They've now dropped below that threshold. And so the two major parties in Oregon are the Democrats and the Republicans. I have uh, been around the, the periphery of an effort to try to change how that happens, to allow independents to vote. We have an open primary. And, uh, and that everybody gets to vote, um, not just the the the, uh, the R's and the D's in their own taxpayer funded primaries. And so then there are all of these other mutations, the ranked choice where uh, you could end up letting people vote for their first, second, third choice, however that's structured. And those uh, candidates, those successful candidates would move forward uh, in the electoral process and others would fall off which means conceivably you could have a couple of Democrats running against each other in the general or a couple of Republicans running against each other. Uh, but um, uh, so there's a push to change how Oregon does their primaries. But to go back to your question about the initiatives, the legislature can refer questions to the ballot or the people in Oregon can refer questions to the ballot and, and the people refer those questions by going out and gathering signatures. When there's an initiative process like that, um, you've often thought that the legislature is kind of copping out by sending that to the voters. In other words, the legislature should be making these decisions. They shouldn't be giving it to the voters. That's why you were elected in the first place. Um, sometimes that just doesn't happen. And so people get upset and they do it themselves because the legislature didn't do it. And sometimes the legislature can't come to an agreement because everybody's arguing. And so they just send it to the voters as kind of the, I don't know, the uh, second prize or something, right? Well, the default. And in some cases, there may be a question of such magnitude that actually letting the people opine on it through the ballot box is a good thing. Um, we had a walkout in Oregon. Uh, we have staged these walkouts. Both parties have done it, the Democrats and the Republicans. In my first session in the Oregon legislature as a freshman, the Democrats walked out. I was then a registered Democrat. And it was a pretty dicey exercise because the governor has the power to send the state police after missing legislators. And so I was holed up in a hotel room, um, uh, hoping that the police didn't knock on the door and drag us back to the legislature. But this last um, session, the Oregon uh, GOP staged a historic walkout. They were out for a long time. And as people were trying to postulate theories about getting them to come back in, uh, one of the suggestions was that the two very controversial bills would be put to a vote of the people. And these two controversial bills, uh, one of them was a gun bill 
and the other was a, um, a, a reproductive and gender affirming rights bill. And um, that was suggested as a way to um, allow the public to opine and get the legislature uh, out of the mud where they were stuck and had been stuck for a number of weeks. Uh, that GOP walkout has led to some interesting complications in our whole electoral landscape, and we can talk about that as well. Uh, when the Republicans came back, there is a, a sort of generalized opinion, and I, I uh, associate myself with this attitude, that the Republicans didn't get much for the sacrifice that their senators made, and um, neither did they in the end stop the flow of legislation. The two bills that they were concerned about were only uh, slightly modified. And um, the question was for all of the, the effort uh, that the Republicans made the risk, the political risk that their members took in leaving the, the floor of the Senate particularly because another ballot measure had passed in a previous election that said that anybody that had more than 10 absences was disallowed from seeking office the next time. Clearly that's gonna be challenged in the courts as a freedom of speech issue because I believe that withholding a quorum is in fact political speech, but that's gonna be for a bunch of judges to figure out. Anyway, um, the the, uh, the 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 walkout has led to kind of a scrambling of the eggs of what the political landscape looks like going forward into the next election cycle. And in terms of the uh, the fallout from all these walkouts, have you seen it at the ballot box? I mean, have the Republicans that walked out not just uh, most recently, but back in 2019 um, when there was a big debate over climate change? Have you seen any fallout from these walkouts that have been going on for a, a couple of years now? Not really. I, I, whether or not the candidate gets reelected, and that happened after the walkout on the climate change, most of those guys got reelected. Whether or not the specific candidate gets reelected, somebody of that same political philosophy in that same geographic region will be elected. And so the face might change, but the political philosophy won't. Oregon remains a deeply divided state. And so much so that now 13 counties, there are 36 counties in Oregon, 13 of them have passed affirmative resolutions at the county level saying that they want to be part of what's called the Greater Idaho Movement. The Greater Idaho Movement, if it's approved by Congress, and there are all kinds of hurdles to Greater Idaho, but the Greater Idaho Movement would functionally take a bunch of Oregon counties and move them out of Oregon and into Idaho. And so um, it, it, we are so divided that those county commissioners that are elected county commissioners have actually voted and are on record as saying, yes, so-and-so county wants to join the greater Idaho movement. It was funny because I've become the political analyst for one of the TV stations and they called me up early on and said, how difficult is this greater Idaho deal going to be to effectuate? And my answer was, you are asking the wrong question because the, the real practical answer is it's going to be damn difficult to effectuate. But the deeper, more underlying question is, why would 13 counties want to leave Oregon and go someplace else? 
And had I been the governor or were I to be elected the governor, first thing I'd have done was to jump on a plane, fly over to Eastern Oregon and say, what can we do to make you people in the Eastern and Southern part of the state feel respected and listened to and part of the franchise and um, and try to figure out why it is that people in the Southern part of the state and Eastern part of the state are so angry. And I can tell you from my campaign for governor, being in those parts of Oregon, that anger is incandescent and palpable. People are pissed. And rightly so in a lot of cases. Uh, and this is not a new, you know, division. This has been going on for decades and decades. Uh, and, uh, you know, the people on the other side of the Cascades, Oregon's divided by the Cascades down the middle, basically. The people on the other side of the Cascades and the eastern side feel very disenfranchised. They feel like the legislature doesn't listen to them. You could, I'm sure, cite hundreds of examples where that's the case, not just in this issue area, but all kinds of issue areas where their desires just were ignored and not even taken into account. Well, and some of those desires really um, bore right into the cultural identity and characteristic of Eastern Oregon. There were attempts in past legislative sessions to stop rodeos. Well, uh, rodeos are part of a deep cultural um, reflection of the cowboy spirit of Eastern Oregon. And oh, by the way, one of the biggest rodeos, the Pendleton Roundup that occurs uh, annually, is a huge money driver. And it is a celebration of the relationship between the indigenous Indian tribes and uh, and the, the folks that came to settle in that part of Oregon. Um, it, it's a huge rodeo. But there was a push by urban Oregon to say rodeoing is bad and we're going to shut her down. And um, it's that sort of stuff that comes at the character and the, the the community orientation of places that aren't Portland, our biggest city, or Eugene, one of our big, very liberal cities that is the home to the University of Oregon. Um, it's as though those folks just don't understand how deeply ingrained some of the the activities and and community orientation around um, rodeoing and farming and those sorts of things, how deep that runs in places that are south of Portland and east of of, uh, of the Cascade Mountains. I wanted to go back and, and talk about the initiative process just a little bit, because one of the things you've told me uh, over the years is that there's a lot of outside interest in Oregon's ballot initiative process, that Oregon often gets used as a test market for national ideas. And that's part of the signature gathering. Somebody that has a lot of money, oh, I don't know, maybe some former mayor of New York or something, might have a lot of money and decide that he wants to effectuate some sort of change nationally, but start in Oregon. So a lot of these ideas that people vote on on the ballot aren't really coming from Oregonians, they're coming from somewhere else. That is absolutely correct. And that was reflected in ballot measure 110 by the national uh, drug legalization movements. A ton of money poured in. Uh, the founder of Facebook poured money in on that issue. And um, and so because in some people's estimation, the signature pathway to the ballot is a low number of signatures uh, and somebody with a ton of money can just go out and buy those signatures. Uh, it, Oregon has become kind of a Petri dish for some of these national ideas 
that may or may not have the kind of um, of um, relationship to Oregon uh, organically uh, that they do when they are propelled into orbit by gobs of national, if not international money. <laughs>